0: hi it's shin it's riri and thanks for joining us on dates Dates with with shin and and riri we are now on technically episode three of this new format of dates with shin and riri which is very much turning into just dates with shin (laughs) i might might have to change the title of our podcast soon (laughs) Cause bring we were away, saying, man, sometimes. Yeah, dude, because we were saying that, oh, we can do alternate where once you do an interview with guests, then we can kind of do a recap on things that were interesting to us and that, that really we can reflect on our own relationship and our own life. So we might try that after this if anything comes up. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so this is Kenji. We've known each other since, wow, since high school. My earliest memory of you was... Connecting through football and obviously through the Japanese church. Yeah. yeah. I think that was my first experience of church as a, a young adult slash teenager instead of kind of being sent to Sunday school to just learn language, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh man, I could still remember like the first time we had met because it was a Japanese church. You have like this stereotype of, do I speak? do I engage in Japanese like I also didn't know like everyone else's English ability and my Japanese ability is so average <laughs> and, and then I remember like that first youth group meeting it's like we're reading passages of scripture and they're like shit would you like to read I'm like oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. and it's like hiragana and I'm like I I I, can't really read <laughs> so it was,
1: it was very Japanese though like to be fair yeah. it, like it was a I mean we both grew up in Hong Kong it's you know and we we both kind of grew up in international I suppose you know schools and just the surroundings and that church was just very specifically Japanese yeah uh, culturally you know tightly linked community as well so you know you just mentioned your first impression there but mine was pretty similar (laughs) like uh, you know, I, I I never went to, like, a Japanese school. In yeah, same. Rome, right? Same. Yeah. So I didn't really know how people my age uh, would communicate in Japanese. Like, what's, like, is, is it the keigo, like, where it's a bit more formal, or is it, like, very right. casual that you see in mangas? And anime? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> but, so, you know, it, it was like a trial and error thing. and Yeah, I think the Japanese language itself, it, it's its not an easy language, right? So, yeah. I
0: completely understand how yourself.
1: I, yeah. do, I do remember my, my first impression
0: very similar to yours. So, you, you grew up in Hong Kong and, and you went through the international school system as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience for you and, and also maybe what some of the challenges were? In terms of growing up in a I guess, predominantly Cantonese speaking environment,
1: yeah, and then yeah yeah
0: English and then learning Japanese, like your Japanese is like no problem now, right? Now now is yeah. <laughs> yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm not sure if I told you this before, but I actually started off my early educations like kindergarten and early years of elementary school in a in a local school until I think year two yeah year two um, of elementary school I went to a a local school in Hong Kong where the the lessons and classes were basically taught in Mandarin Mandarin Chinese so English wasn't even my first language like when I went to school it was Chinese right and then I studied English as a subject until year two and then I switched over to an international school in year three so I remember that switch from Mm. year three and then and then making another transfer into into QBS which was you know part of ESF where we both went to and I think that was kind of the, the turning point for me, like learning English, not just learning it, but actually using it as a communication tool uh, mm. as kind of the first language to use to communicate with friends and, and people around me. But it, it was kind of weird because like one step out of my home, I'll start speaking in English, but you'll hear Cantonese in the streets. Mm. But once you come back home, I'm talking in Japanese. I'm talking right. with my parents in Japanese, talking to my older brother in Japanese. So I had this all like mixture of languages in my brain. Yeah. Um, but eventually, like when I finished elementary school, I, I think it just became a natural habit to switch languages depending on who I'm communicating with. Um, but my Japanese was pretty poor until... <laughs> yeah. until until I came back to Japan for university. Um, it was yeah. still poor. Um, I somehow managed to get into a Japanese university. But, mm-hmm. but then because I didn't go to a Japanese school, learning you know, the, the grammar and you know, how to write essays and all that in Japanese, I didn't learn the academic uh, mm-hmm. Japanese until my university days. So actually oh, the wow. real struggle when it came... The real struggle actually came in my university days after I came back
0: to Japan. So I, that's, yeah. So uni uni days, everything was like taught and lessons were in Japanese?
1: Everything was Japanese, except for oh, obviously okay. the English. English <laughs> modules, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, those modules like being taught by mostly Native American speakers Um, Mm. you know that that was easy going right that that was very similar to what I what I learned and studied back in high school and and, in Hong Kong basically but when everything switched to Japanese so I might actually know the context like I remember um, there was a there was a module where we were going through William Shakespeare you know Mm. in, in, in one of the classes so I know the story I know the You know, I know how the stories they built and all that, but when that's being taught in Japanese, that was the real hurdle because, you know, I had to basically translate everything I knew into Japanese first to understand it and then get the output in Japanese as well.
0: Oh, that's still me now. I have like a mini Google translate in my brain that even when I speak to dad, I'm thinking in English And like having sort of a five second time lag, to then translate what I'm trying to say or respond in Japanese, and sometimes I'm missing one or two words, like key (laughs) words. Chotto chingao like I'm told it's like uh, it's like there's those words where, you know, like hashi, hashi,
1: yeah, yeah, like the bridge and like
0: chopsticks. chopsticks. That's probably one of my earliest memories of just like I'm saying it, dude. Like I'm saying it. Like <laughs> stop correcting me. I'm doing my best. <laughs> it, it's hard,
1: man. Like even now, I've been in Japan for how many years now? It's my 14th year, but I still oh, wow. get. I still it's been get that, that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four years in uni, and then I ended up staying in Japan for work as yeah. well. Um, I still get that brain freeze, like. I I hear the word and I process it in my mind and I'm I'm trying to put it out into Japanese or English, vice versa. Yeah. It just kind of stops. I'm like, okay, I know how to say it in English, but I can't get the yeah. Japanese word out. You know, it, it's as if the Wi-Fi just kind of shut off right in the middle. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I still get that, you know, like the, okay. the process kind of gets quicker, obviously with practice and being in that situation a lot yeah. more frequently, but I still get that pause, like, like what right. you mentioned. I'm like, how do I say this in Japanese or English?
0: So, so you mentioned that, that after uni, you decided to stay on for work. I mean, you're currently working in a, in a tech company doing some HR stuff. Yeah. And I feel like the way that you, you describe your role is very interesting. I would love to understand sort of what you're doing there a little bit more. Before you get into that, is that... The same role that you jumped straight into and have been doing all this time because i remember you were also doing some work in nike and yeah, yeah
1: so straight after uni um i was kind of the odd one out in, in the japanese uh you know fresh graduates because i always wanted to be in hr for some reason like i didn't want it to go into sales or marketing or digital marketing that the, the you know kind of the phase of the company, but I always mm. felt like I wanted to be in a position where I can support and empower other people to be successful and so I always was interested in HR and during my uni days, I had a chance to speak with some um, senior executives in the in the HR field from different companies, and, and that kind of inspired me to say, okay let 's give it a shot let, that's the path I want to go um, Initially, I started off in recruiting, uh, which is, I'll say it's within HR, but recently I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of companies kind of taking it in as, as a complete separate function recruiting and HR, uh, where instead of HR, recruiting in the middle of it. So, uh, recruiting, you know, it, it was an interesting experience for me because. It was basically a crash course in everything business. You know, you learn oh. about, you learn about people, um, which is by far the most important asset in any business, I suppose. So you learn about people, you learn about having a bit more of a sales mindset as well, because, mm. you know, you, you have, let's say, a target to, to fill how many positions in certain time period or you know you're in a mission to improve maybe the score of a feedback that you're receiving from the people that you're working with you know you always have a goal to achieve so you you always have to kind of think strategically like how am I going to reach that goal what is the fastest way to get there or what is the smartest way to get there so you have to kind of think by yourself you also have To learn the fact that you know you're you'll eventually have to learn that you you'll need to be a team player as well because recruiting it sometimes people think oh he's a superstar so he must be doing everything by by himself or she might be you know she she's kind of the standalone recruiting person so she's doing everything by herself the truth is just like any other job, you 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 get so much more done once you start once you start working with people. You know, you work as a team, and right. you you gain so much more input from learning from other people and learning different perspectives, and then having like a mutual goal. So so that yeah. you you get more of a diverse um, understanding of the mission, and you know you just gain a lot more you personally gain a lot more and as a team you gain a lot more as well Mm. so yeah recruiting was basically that you know it gave me uh, a strong foundation of what I am doing right now and where I am today so Mm. after building up my career in recruiting um, I've experienced a couple of companies including Nike which you mentioned Um, and then right now I'm I'm in a tech company in Japan. Um, I actually transitioned from a recruiting position into what we call an enablement position. Um, Enablement. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's kind of the buzzword I'd say in the industry nowadays. You're, You're basically like an educator to employees. You take on a certain topic or maybe a certain field in some cases, like certain product, it might be a, some technical product that you're, you're dealing with, you're breaking down the details so that you're empowering the people that, who's listening to, to what you speak so that they can learn about the details or they can gain more knowledge about that specific field. And for me, I transitioned into what we call equality enablement. So in more of a common wording, I'll say di- uh, diversity, equality, equity, and inclusion. Uh, that mm-hmm. might be a more of a common phrase that you'll hear. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a transition. I'm basically going from a recruiting, which was more of a sales goal driven um, position, into now I'm I'm into a role where I'm doing program management, project management. As well as um, as well as really diving deep into seeking what the business is actually wanting to learn. So right. I, I need to really, you know, obviously build the trust, build the build the relationship with the, the stakeholders that I'm working with, mm. and really not just look at the surface level, but really dive deep into see, okay, what might be the potential solution that we can offer by looking at ABC of uh, that mm. specific business. So I don't know. It, there's a lot of skills that I, I can definitely transfer from recruiting yeah. uh, from the early parts of my career. But there are also parts where I, I, I'm still in, in that learning curve where I'm kind of trying to figure out, okay, how do I communicate to certain, certain people? How do I become a more of a compelling communicator Um, so that people can obviously
0: work as a team and all that so it's
1: it's still a it's still a journey it's it's early onto the journey so still trying to figure things out I suppose
0: that makes sense though because I feel like that's probably one of the most common myths as you enter into the work force you're transitioning from being a student and then you start working there's this idea that you've already finished your studies maybe you don't need to learn anything anymore but you never really stop Learning, right, like actually, the real learning happens when you finish school, at least for me, that's what I've found because oh yeah. oh yeah, I look back to all the things that I used to stress about when it came to to schooling, grades, getting into another school, and like yeah, trying to select the right courses to to be best equipped and all that stuff. but even when we look back ten years, fifteen years, and reflect on how much the world has changed. In that time as well, like I think some of our our jobs right now just wouldn't even be kind of a a consideration. You wouldn't even aspire to do some of the work that we're doing today because it's just something that didn't exist. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and then with the Internet and and all these social media platforms becoming such a big tool. Um, especially for like, I would say, like small business owners and and things like that. Yeah. Then, then people actually almost have a greater possibility to dream. Mm. And mm. something that's helped me recently is to put into perspective the opportunities that we've had, and try and make sense of the stories of sort of like our parents' generation and beyond, who would share stories of of. This idea of perseverance, hard work and commitment to an organization. And yeah. oftentimes those conversations will have a hint of judgment towards how soft we are and how yeah. quickly we're <laughs> okay. willing to give up and move on to like a different opportunity because That's That's uh, something is not right or the salary is not enough or, you know, like. What you were promised in the role wasn't exactly what it was going to be. I guess what in your role or even just in your experience so far, it sounds like you do have to do a lot of relationship management both ways, both internally and with your clients. So what are some, some key things that you, you feel like you're looking out for and what are things that are off-putting Yeah, yeah. just for, for my own learning as well? No, great question.
1: Great question think so i think i look for two points um, in most cases and i think that can be transferable to to any any cases i suppose in any industries or any positions one is the fact that you you need to make sure that the other person is is feeling that they're being heard right is so that you're actually Listening to actually learn from them instead of just listening just for the sake of it, um, because man, like I, I talk with people like all the time, right in, in my work in any anything. I even talk to my sons who are like four year old and I'm forced to kind of listen to them <laughs> <in any case. laughs> um, but I think because people are um, always looking to to being connected in and digital and, and everything I think people value when people show up and they're present to listen to you people actually like really value that you know people mm-hmm. actually appreciate the fact that you're listening so not really something that I look you know look for in that other person but something that i always tend to do is to make sure that i'm showing up i'm being present to to kind of make sure that they feel comfortable and they feel they feel like they can share maybe something that they feel vulnerable about or they they they're open up to share their 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 worries or anything like that um and i think that's the thing that's been missing I, I suppose when we are moving into a very digital world right we're, we're talking right. about being connected all the time you're basically one text away from or one message away um, to, to really reach out to people but right. how often do you actually engage in a conversation how often right. do you actually like not even look at your phone sit and listen to them um, and I think that's the same thing in business and outside of business as well um, that's mm. the type of thing that i always make sure that i'm conscious about i'm making that conscious decision um, it's not like i can do it perfectly i definitely don't i get distracted yeah. all the time um, but that's definitely one thing that i i try to do um, when i'm building that relationship especially in the early stages the second point i usually think about is to really how can i how can i really stir up the curiosity that person because i love that I'm, yeah because what you want to have is like an open dialogue right you, you want to have an open conversation with the other person making sure that they're not really just talking things on surface level which happens yeah. a lot i, I suppose uh in, yeah in the society these days i
0: feel like we even struggle with that right now like yeah, yeah. just just being able to have that face to face surface level conversation is already such a struggle for a lot of us. it is
1: it is you, you say one thing and you do one thing, and when people see you not following up on your act like with your words and actions, mm. you, you immediately lose that trust right you immediately mm. lose that accountability as well. so going back to the curiosity part, you, you want to make sure that you're having a conversation. Not to keep you interested or excited, but making sure that the other person is getting interested and excited um, mm. like conversation has to be a two way thing right it can't be a one way um, yeah. you, you need to make sure that you're creating that conversation to make sure that the other person's feeling valued one by listening, and two making sure that you know you're, you're asking them appropriate questions to, yeah. to, for that person to be excited about to be. To be, you know, to basically have a smile on their face when they're answering. That yeah. Question. So those two points, I, I, I'm always kind of. I always try to make sure that I include and have that mindset when I'm, you know, initiating conversation or when I'm maybe, you know, just getting to know that other person for the first time. So.
0: Right. How did you how did you learn that? Because I feel like that's definitely one of those key life skills that. Mm. Even school didn't really teach us. They're kind of just like, "Hey, you're with people every day. You're not, like you don't need a lesson on this. You'll figure it out." Except, yeah, yeah. actually, a lot of us don't. Like we go, we do our best, but that it's like this kind of weird hide by insecurity version of conversation every day, as opposed oh, yeah? to like, <laughs> as opposed I to, know, like, good point. like I love what you said about being curious, right? I I, I don't. I don't think even for me recently I I'd been reflecting on this idea of curiosity being a necessary part of all conversation like even with your closest relationships you know even in your marriage like with your wife if you're not curious about one another you can actually then kind of fall into pat patterns of assumption and and you you kind of just have like this set view and then there's that's where you kind of start feeling unseen, unheard, unloved and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah like yeah. When, when did you, I guess, begin to recognize that importance and, and how did you learn that skill?
1: Um, I definitely learned at the beginning of my career. Um, I'll say the first company that I worked with um, really allowed me to, to kind of learn in that area. So I, in my first company, I basically joined that firm as the first new grad of the company, right? Oh wow! So I was, yeah. So Big in deal. Japan, in yeah, in Japan, usually companies would hire uh, quite a large group of new grads uh, every year. So you, mm. you'll have maybe like forty to fifty uh, people coming joining on the same date. So you kind of have that um community so that you can ask things and you know you don't you feel like you're you're not by yourself um mm-hmm. in, in a I would say a typical company but for me I didn't have that community around me I was like a, I was a rookie right and yeah. and to even to make it even better um I was um assigned to kind of build up a new team <laughs> within the firm um wow. as a rookie right so I was one learning about the job and two, I was also learning about the industry and the, the kind of the business field that I'm, I'm being specialized on. So Mm -hmm. those two things I had to just basically learn, right. I had to constantly ask questions. And so that comes to the second point. Um, How did I overcome? I asked questions and Two, I open up to the fact that
0: I didn't know. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Like you're willing to admit.
1: Yeah. This was a, actually an advice that I learned from my first manager that I, I value to this day. Um, so in the beginning, I basically didn't know anyone. I didn't have any business contacts in Japan. Mm-hmm. So what he said was like, go through the database of candidates. And what you'd want to do is, Instead of pitching something uh, from my side, so the fake it till you make it attitude, right? Instead, Mm. invite them in for a conversation and just be open to the fact that you're actually new to the job and ask them questions Mm. because so that you can actually learn from them about the best practices of that specific industry or field And, you know, people like to talk (laughs) and people like to be trusted. Um, Mm. So you basically stir up the curiosity within yourself to learn from the candidates where in a very typical situation, you're as a a recruiter, you're supposed to be the one kind of giving information to the candidates. You're supposed to be Mm. the one offering service to the candidates. But back then, because I was on that learning curve, I, you know, my manager kind of gave me that advice and, um, and I took that and that really helped me a lot because it allowed me to, to think that there are no stupid questions. When you're being, so important, like when you're being curious, like when you're being genuinely curious, not to, not to, you know, not to ask them silly questions, but, um, you're asking questions because
0: you want to know. Right not just filling, filling silence, not filling space for just, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: That really built my mindset. I Mm. I think like being able to ask questions um, when I have them. Right. Yeah. Um, And I think that has basically been the foundation of, of who I am today, being able to ask questions, being able to say, Hey, I actually never heard of this phrase that you just mentioned. Could you kind of give me a bit more of a detailed breakdown or mm. or, you know, I love that idea. And how did you how did you learn that exactly what you're doing right now? Um, right. You know, you're asking questions to kind of dig into the dig in and learn yeah. from them. Yeah. So, yeah, just having that mindset um, of the fact that there are no stupid questions right. and Personally speaking, I'm not the type of person who would say fake it, till so we make it. Right. Um, That's not good advice
0: in your mind. That
1: Personally, I mean, it, it's good when you're maybe like, like I am, right? I transitioned into a new role where I'm still in a learning curve. But mm. you want to make sure that you're asking questions. You, you don't want to just kind of crawl up in your shell and, and try to figure everything out. and and just just freestyle everything that that's completely different from asking questions to a team member or someone who might have the knowledge or who might have the answer to your questions it's just so much quicker you know it's just quicker to learn from them yeah and again having that conversation it, it it can be a starting of a trust right it can it can start up that relationship and right so i i I try to take advantage <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, that's that's, that's I, amazing. Yeah, it yeah, sounds I'm like
0: sure. it it's pretty rare to have a manager like that who would give you that sort of advice because I think traditionally I think from stories that i've heard of even when I reflect back to to peers who had just graduated um were looking for jobs they'll they'll join an an organization or company. And it's like, because you're the fresh grad, you're like supposed to know everything. Like the common thing is um, in our company, we're looking for someone with 10 years experience. But it's like, I just graduated studying exactly. my butt off for this thing. <laughs> yeah, That yeah, like yeah. literally is not possible for me. You're setting me up to fail in that regard. And then you come and say, oh, this fresh grad has no experience. And then so then they're missing the the element of guidance. Um Kind of like that aspect of having that manager to go, hey, that advice that you've heard of fake it till you make it. I think gets misconstrued as I gotta know everything. Yeah. Like maybe there needs to be a different sort of phrase that you're like an actual realization. Fake it doesn't mean don't don't lie. (laughs) Like like, oh yeah no (laughs) I know exactly. i I have
1: no idea (laughs) like we we grew up in a world where you're you're told to fill in the blacks even if when you don't know it just take a wild guess right Mm. um and and you're being valued to know it all instead of like you're you're not we're not being educated in a way where you get a point for every questions you ask instead Mm. you're basically um getting points for every answer you you get right yeah so we i think The way our brains are wired, I think we live in that constant fear of what if I don't know this? Mm. (laughs) What if I'm not able to answer this question? What if I'm not able to offer this service because I feel like I lack that knowledge or experience? Um, But the fact is, everyone starts off with no experience. Like those those senior leaders that you look up to those people that you're working with, um, or anyone that you're looking up to, you know, they, they all have their day one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you you have to make sure that you, you understand that and you're on this journey, right. Yeah. Just because you can't answer that question in your day two or day three, doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's just that the fact is, Yeah, someone's ahead of the race, sure. But it's not a win or lose thing. Um,
0: Yeah, there's always something to to be learned along the way. And I feel like having sort of those, those examples of people that you either look up to or that you see are in those sort of top positions, having those guys really continue to share, hey, I had a day one too, and this is what it looked like would probably allow for just a lot more safety in in the culture of uh, a company or or even that. I, re- I feel like that also applies to even sort of mentorship, schooling, things like that, Absolutely. relationships, just like, you know, when like you hear stories and, and I don't know what it was like for you growing up, but I think a common theme is we'll all have had some sort of experience where maybe our parents were having a bad day and it felt like high stakes if you didn't have the right answer or if you you know like you said the wrong thing because culturally it's it's rude you know like i think that's a that's a common fear that i have it's like when i'm interacting with like really japanese japanese like oh yeah full-on i'm just like oh man like like What are some sort of cultural things that I'm ignorant about because I grew up in Hong Kong um, and I don't have fully down like these things like start creeping in. It's just like, wait, dude, like that's if if there's safety there, then it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. 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 Because you're just bringing your full self forward to then engage in the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love what you were saying about curiosity earlier. Are there. Sort of things in your life um, at the moment that have piqued your curiosity in terms of just life. You know, you're, you're, you're now married, you have two kids. Most of life now is Japan life, other than the occasional trip back to Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. I think just really, I know this sounds
1: a bit cliche, but being in that marriage and being in that family, I've learned two things. One thing is that I need to make sure I'm bringing my whole self and being present to the family members. That's Mm. one thing. But at the same time, I need to be present to myself as
0: well, to be as an individual, to really take time for myself, not just for Mm. the family. What does that look like for you, being present for yourself?
1: Um... Luckily, you know, my wife has been really understanding, allowing me to like go to gyms and, and just really spend some time for myself. Um, any activity that will allow you to really focus on how you're doing, like it could be mm. physically or it could be mentally, how you're doing. Um, that's been a treat for me. Um, mm. it, could be, it could be just 30 minutes a day. It could, be, it could be an hour a day, depending on how your daily, daily schedule looks like. Mm. um like this morning it wasn't really like I I asked permission or anything but like this morning I I went for a walk from what 6 30 to just after 7 for like 30 minutes just by myself Mm. like listening to listening to podcasts and just walking around my neighborhood just for a morning morning walk Mm. but that 30 minutes to to really just spend time for yourself you know spend time to really gather your thoughts uh, and just really look at things from a different perspective because day-to-day life you just get pulled into so many distractions like what what am i cooking for dinner <laughs> or, or like yeah. what, what about this project and work um how am i going to communicate this to my manager you know mm. how what am i going to do you know once the kids come back home and all that um yeah. you, you you get pulled into like a firefighter mode where you need to make sure you're you're getting all the tasks done and all that. But as important as that is, you, you need to make sure, like for me, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm thinking about the long game as well. So yeah. my physical health, my mental health, am I setting up a goal? Let's say the long-term goal for, for, let's say my physical health, where am I going to be in a year or three years? Am I working towards that goal? Um, as part of that, you know, physical health goal, I actually started, um, doing personal training sessions with a, with a trainer, um, in the past couple of months. Um, yeah. And that's been, that's been really helpful because I'm not really thinking about anything else, but other than the fact that how am I doing? Is my, is my body working okay? Is my mental, am I mentally ready? Am I mentally present to make sure that I'm being focused in that session? Uh, that's been really helpful because I can step away from work and step away from, I'm not, I'm not stepping away from family, <laughs> but mentally take my brain yeah. off and, and just take my hat off as a husband, as, as a dad for that moment to really focus on Kenji, how as an individual, how am I doing? So mm. even, even if it's like a 30 minute per day, uh, that's been, that's been really helpful. That, that's kind of how I, make that shift uh, of my daily things i suppose
0: is that something that you had to learn to do like was there a season in your life that you kind of were not doing that and felt like okay something something's up i need to change i need to recognize that this isn't working oh yeah (laughs) absolutely obviously
1: i had to learn the hard way right It's just like um i think most of us have had Maybe similar similar cases, but obviously with the pandemic, um, it's been it's been real hard on a lot of people um, Mm. for me as a working parent um, and and just kind of balancing so many things in life, I suppose. Um, And there was a season where, you know, I was really just focused, being focused on that firefighting mode where I'm just just killing off tasks the day to day I'm surviving. Day to day, but not really thinking about the long term, and that really took a toll on my uh, on my mental health. Um, yeah. You know, just one day, it just it, it just became overwhelming. Like it, I just I was kind of forced to take a step away, to take a take a afternoon off or or morning, or like a day off, because I wasn't I wasn't physically sick or anything, but I was mentally I was just exhausted mm-hmm. because I wasn't able to process. My emotions, my 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 feelings. And to be honest, I think that was also the season where I was just really away from my faith as well. Um I, I was I felt distant because I wasn't really focusing on my personal well-being. And then after two, three months, it was just too much. Like I emotionally like it it showed up on my physical aspect as well. It's like it's too much. I can't take it anymore. And, right. uh, and I, was, I, I had to shut down a computer. I, sh- I had to shut down my, my work laptop and just take a day off and just really, just really focus on how I'm doing and, mm. and take, take a deep breath. Um, even for five minutes, like I, I yeah. need to shut, shut down everything. I need to, to kind of force myself, <laughs> drag myself to, to my balcony or somewhere where yeah. I, I can have a space of myself for myself. Right. So yeah, had to learn the hard way
0: for sure. In the past,
1: yeah. I'll, I'll say maybe past year
0: or two. How do you even begin to have those types of conversations with yourself? And I think even more importantly, like I'm really jealous of girls in this this area because I feel like just the way that maybe like women are wired, they just naturally have this skill set of hey, let me share with you, you share with me, let's process emotions, let's do that, and and even for me just reflecting back on life so far it's like I feel like I only had permission to begin doing that within like the last five to ten years and even now it's still it's still difficult I mean the only person I can really go like unapologetically just like hey this is all my stuff is with my wife as well I mean even with your close friends like who are guys it's not as straightforward sometimes to just go like, yo, I'm struggling. Like this is, this is like, yeah. Do you have sort of a group of friends or, 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 I mean, obviously you have your wife to process with, but I'm also curious about the way maybe even mental health conversations are happening or not happening in a culture like Japan, where everything is like, oh you know, we don't inconvenience other people. We don't, sac- you know, everything yeah, yeah. is about sacrifice. It's like pain. I feel nothing. Like, <laughs> just what do you mean? It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I completely
1: understand. Um, for me, I- I've been very fortunate um, where I do have a group of friends um, outside of family who I can just really go to and say, Hey, I'm, I'm just not having it right now. I'm just, going through a rough season and I just wanted to kind of share my share what I'm going through but I think this is what I see right I'm I'm not sure if I'm 100% correct but in Japan I there's one word that I, I use or one phrase that I use there's like a love-hate relationship around this but shouganai. Shouganai. Yeah, shoganai like that's That's such a, in a way, very convenient phrase in Japanese where it's like, ah, it is what it is, you know, it's right, right, in English. But, you know, that phrase kind of gives you off the vibe where it's like, yeah, well, there's nothing you can do about it. So you just kind of move on. And and sometimes it is, you know, sometimes it's a convenient word. That's why there's a love-a relationship. It's a convenient word. Mm -hmm. But I think when it's being misused, like, when you are talking about someone's emotions or someone's feelings and if you use show it night it's usually a sign where you're just not having your health as a top priority even if it's mental health right mm-hmm. you know you're you know you uh, you know you you i'm actually you know feeling depressed i'm actually feeling a bit of anxiety coming up i'm, I'm having this i'm having that ah oh, so there, man. oh your work is oh, stuff
0: <laughs>
1: you know oh your work is stuff oh, there's nothing you can do about it
0: you know that is that usually coming from a friend the shogunai or is that an internal self shogunai
1: i think it's both i think it's both okay
0: yeah so it's like you're reiterating like oh that's actually what everyone else also thinks oh, sh- oh yeah, okay yeah, cool yeah. so we we no, we, I, this is just me. Then we can't talk about it. Like
1: exactly, I think uh, we, we
0: like Japanese people. I feel like
1: opening up about yourself and being vulnerable and all that. It's, we're we're seeing uh, I think uh, this whole new generation where people are are actually okay to share how they're feeling. But mm. the fact is, I think there's still that stigma around the fact that you're you're. You know, when you're, when you're sharing, a lot of people will be like, oh, you're sharing too much. (laughs) A lot of people would say that reaction. And then that would, you know, what, if you, maybe you trust someone enough where you're able to share how you're feeling, but if that person just says, ah, you know, shogunai or you're sharing too much or or show some sort of negative reaction, that would just pull you back even more from Mm being able to share right you 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 had that courage a moment ago by sharing but Mm. having that negative reaction would push you back so that you feel like you might feel a bit more of loneliness going on in your life you might feel like oh you know you know I, i was maybe overreacting but that's not the case in most in most situations you're not overreacting the, the emotions, the feelings that you're you're experiencing is real you know it's it's raw it's real, and it kind of goes back to the listening part as well right you're you're not I learned this from being in a marriage, but you're you're not listening sometimes you're not listening just to give advice you're sometimes you're listening to listen to listen and learn
0: yeah, there is such right? thing guys like you <laughs> you don't actually have to fix anything <laughs> exactly. you you're
1: you're not providing solutions but the fact that you're being present, I think that gives the safety net, right, mm-hmm. to that person sharing. So I, yeah, I want to see more of that in Japan. Obviously, um, it's still I, I definitely feel it's a work in progress.
0: Do you think that starts with sort of um, culture within family, in terms of, because I feel like when you're a kid. This this isn't necessarily mi- limited to like Japanese families or not it's just family in general when you're growing up there's like a fearlessness of like I can do whatever and I'm trying to figure out sort of what's okay and what's not but you also are starting to learn that there there's like this whole spectrum of emotions and feelings that we have to quote unquote control depending on the situation so you like you can't just be like oh I'm overly excited and you're in public like Dah! like even <laughs> though that's internally you're you're probably like you have those minions inside of you like yeah yeah like yeah. I still have that I think my minions come out every now and then I'm just like <laughs> unapologetically like super hyper but yeah 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 but you know like that's the happy but when you're sad and 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 frustrated and angry and you're met with shogunai or don't like don't be angry don't be sad like you're just told like just don't cry like i feel like that is the the biggest unintentional trainer of boys who then grow up into men who are still believing that crying is bad anger is bad not okay. Emotions, what emotion? Like, don't show any, like, unless it's happy. I don't want to see it. Like, <laughs> it's No, no, <laughs> no. I, I completely understand. You, you've got a great point. And
1: I think we're seeing a generation where unfortunately those people or those men specifically are, are basically struggling, right? Because they're, they're not sure how to project that, um, in a way where they feel like they have a solution. Right. Mm. They don't they feel like they're stuck. And unfortunately, you know, that's causing people taking their own lives or you know, creating a negative ripple effect on the people around them as well. Yeah. Um, and I think the key, like when you're going through something negative, like when you're going through anger or bitterness or, or sadness, the fact that for me at least, the fact that you're not doing life for yourself. That's like kind of a bottom line. And, you know, you you have all these people around you. And when you're being stuck in loneliness, I think people start to think, oh, you know, no one cares about me. No one really, you know, ask how I'm doing and all that. But you need to make sure that you're stepping in as well. Like you can't step away and expect people to kind of follow you, (laughs) to pull you back. Mm -hmm. of course if you have you know great friends a great relationship obviously that could happen Um, and that's like the ideal way right but the truth is when you're taking a step back and from let's say you you imagine like a circle of friends right and you're taking a step back from that circle you know ideally you'd want people next to you to pull you back that's ideal Mm -hmm. that's the best way but the truth in life is sometimes they, they might reach you in, in, uh, in the wrong timing. Sometimes they might not provide that hand to pull you back at the right timing. And you, my advice is to, is to take that courageous step back into that circle and be in the circle. Because by taking a step back, you're, you're physically kind of distancing yourself from people. And right. by doing that, there's a risk of overthinking and manifesting on thoughts that's not really necessary. But, you know, when you're in that negative mode, it's easy for that emotions to kind of take you over. Right. But I think my advice for those people would be to take a step. Just the first step would be to be in the circle um, of people or friends or family. Um, You don't have to say anything to begin with, but stay in that circle. Like stay connected in a way. And I think showing up and being present, that allows you to people to at least acknowledge. The fact that you're there, you might not be feeling it, but you're there. And hopefully that could create the chance to start up a conversation. To say, hey, how are you doing? And yeah, that's the second point, actually. Asking how people are doing. That that simple question has so much power, I think. Hey, how are you doing? Um, You know, when you get asked that question, I think a lot of people's reaction will be like, hey, yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, pretty good pretty good but when you take a further step and say no no how are you really doing that Mm. changes the tone right that changes the tone of conversation that changes the fact that you know you're you're showing that you care about that other person Mm. you're showing that you really want to know how you're doing instead of just an icebreaker so i think there's a powerful Yeah, there's definitely a power into really going back to that curiosity part, but being curious about how they're doing Um, that. that, I think that would be a great starting point for you to be a helper in a way, but also it kind of helps you uh, to to really start building that foundation within yourself, Um, because when you're able to kind of ask that question to others, hopefully that would give you the courage to ask that to yourself as well.
0: Yeah, there's like a certain element of being able to develop that skill of self-counseling. Kind of, what are the questions I am avoiding? Or what are the questions that I just don't want to face because it's too painful to actually get to the place of truth? Yeah. If I do engage in this, right? Because I feel like that's the fear I have sometimes when I ask that question. Because I've definitely been in situations where where I've asked, "Hey, how are you?" or "How are you doing?" and and I feel like it's so uncomfortable for the other person that they're just like, "I don't know," and I don't <laughs> want to talk about it.
1: Yeah, I right know. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and so maybe that's sometimes my fault in terms of timing of asking that question. It puts some some people on the spot, I feel. Um it happens, which is which is sometimes necessary, I feel, like in in friendships that especially you care about someone who's kind of stuck um, in certain patterns and and things like that but it's never coming from a place of I know better it's really like you said it's like well, we'll ha- what does support look like in in those relationships yeah 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 Absolutely. I wanted to sort of close a little bit differently you you talk about curiosity I'm the type of person who who loves daydreaming about possibilities yeah. And kind of just engaging in the idea of possibilities, right? So if you weren't doing what you are doing right now, what would you want to be doing with your time? Uh, great question.
1: Great question. Um, recently, I actually started having this thought and I, I might do this anyway. <laughs> um, if I'm not doing what I'm doing right now, and if I can choose anything, I'd be coaching. Coaching. Yeah, coaching, mentoring. For me, it's just such a reward when you're able to kind of guide someone um, and allow that other person to think freely um, yeah. and allow them to think from a different perspective or different point of view so that they can have a, they can gain something in their life. You know, it, does, it can be Career coaching, it could be anything. But obviously you're not kind of forcing them to, to walk a certain path or or do some sort of activities, but you're giving them a choice, right? You're mm-hmm. you're saying, Hey, this is what I've learned in these years. This could apply to you. If you want to give it a shot, why don't you take a why don't you take a look and think about it? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of you should do this, you should do that. Um, because yeah, kind of, kind of similar to what I, I was sharing before, but by helping others, you're also learning, right? Mm. So the more, I, more I'm able to coach, the more I'm able to kind of offer something, some knowledge or, or empowerment of some sort, yeah. I'm, a, I'm able to add to myself so that I can bless others even more, right? So yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I've been thinking in my mind. Uh, coaching hmm. mentor yeah it's it's not something that you see a lot in japan unfortunately hmm. uh, but i'm but i'm hoping to start something here as
0: well dude i think you'd be so good at it i think you'd also have just like the the right balance of cultural understanding and also the gentleness to then be empathetic towards kind of the struggles that exist not just for men generally but i think especially in a place like japan where it is already very difficult to have these conversations and it might look different to how you would have those conversations in in other countries and other cultures because even back to the hey how are you doing i I remember my wife telling me the story of when she was in the states like she'd be going shopping for her groceries and then they'd be like hey how are you doing and she'll start sharing like how she's doing and then they're just like looking at her going like oh i'm sorry about that <laughs> but then they're not actually asking how There's is she whole doing life story. she's literally <laughs> just like wow people here are so caring and really wanting to get to know me it's like no dude they just want to say hi very politely and yeah uh, yeah yeah <laughs> like, like hi
1: how are you is such a common phrase that we use just just to, yeah just to break the ice right but yeah. when you're when you're putting that question into like a really, you know, a relationship where you want to invest on, it just becomes mm-hmm. such a powerful tool. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like even being a coach, it, it doesn't mean that you know everything. It's it's a journey, right? Yeah. So that that's the part
0: I, I would love to be on as well in the future. If you had a chance to meet your eighteen-year-old self what would you be telling him? Like an advice, life advice. Advice or just something that he needed to hear then? I'll say two things.
1: One is to run your own race. Like don't, don't try to run on someone else's track because at the end of the day, someone else is going to be in front of you. You're not going to overcome that person. You're not going to mm. overtake that person if you're running on the same path. As an 18-year-old, 18, 19-year-old, I remember being so aware of how others were doing, like just basically comparison of how they're doing versus how I'm doing. Mm. And uh, and yeah, I, I didn't look into how, how much of a progress I was doing, like moving from Hong Kong to Japan as an 18-year-old and being in that fresh new environment and all that. And, and the fact that everyone was running their own race, coming from different backgrounds. I, I was aware of it, but I was, I'm not sure how how much of an awareness I have put, put on that thought. And if I'm able to kind of tell my 18-year-old self to do that more, and, uh, and just because they're ahead of their race, it doesn't mean that you're winning or losing. It's just that they're running their own race, and I'm mm. running my own race. So being able to be happy for them, being able to support them so that they can pick up their own pace um, and just be really happy for other people. You know, that, that's that's uh, that's one thing that I can definitely say to my 18 year old self.
0: So good. I love that. You might take a bit more time on this one, but yeah, what do you think 40 year old Kenji would be saying to you? stop eating so much man. <laughs>
1: um 40 <laughs> um, year old
0: or what would you want 40 year old kenji to say to you maybe not what do you think what what would you want him to be saying to you
1: kind of similar to, to the eight-year-old but um as a 40 year old telling myself, don't get distracted don't get distracted, don't get pulled away from the things that you can't control. yeah, it's just so easy to be sucked into things in life where you know I'm kind of it, it kind of feels like you're out of control because mm-hmm. you're trying to control some things that you can't control like other people's emotions and how other people perceive you mm-hmm. but if you're not being distracted, and just really focusing on what your priorities are, and making sure that you're helping others, you're serving others with your own purpose, and be present with your with my family and and my loved ones. And that's all I can ask for, <laughs> you know. Um, and and another thing I would say would be to cherish each moment, because like I have two boys um a four-year-old and a one-year-old but they're growing up so fast Right. Like, yeah, i can see yeah like yeah. you you met my older one uh when he was still toddler a year old yeah one a year, year old. old yeah and now he's a, a grown-up boy uh, as a Going to soccer
0: practice and all that yeah
1: yeah it, it's you know it just gives me so much joy to see the boys doing so well and growing up. Mm. But the fact is each day goes by so quick and yeah, just I looked through photos of the kids and maybe earlier as a marriage and I was like, wow, kids were like this when they were one or two. But the fact is you're not able to travel back time, right? Your your the only emotions I should have is the gratitude and, and you know thankfulness to the fact that they've been, they've been growing up so healthily and you know to, to the boys that they are right now. And so yeah, when I'm 40, obviously the boys will grow up a bit more and mm. our marriage will be a bit more in the longer uh, in the longer years as well. But yeah, mm. just cherishing each moment and, and just really enjoying each moment um yeah not focusing on the past but making sure that focusing on the present and the future that's uh yeah that's what i hope the four-year-old me would tell me
0: and uh that's where i'd want to be as well that's so good bro dude i've i've really enjoyed our conversation i have so much more i want to talk to you about but maybe we'll we'll I don't know. It doesn't have to be another podcast, but we'll 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 make time to catch up. I'd love to Absolutely. hear your thoughts on what you've been learning about parenting, marriage, and you know, and to to say that you can't go back in time, good thing Saori has her uh YouTube channel, then you can actually yes. revisit <laughs> you can revisit all the the trips and things like that. I feel like that's kind of the unspoken potential use of not even use, like like a good enough reason to start a YouTube channel is to then finalize your memories. Like I realize that even I think everyone who's filming stuff on their iPhones and stuff like that, you don't need to be like a YouTuber per se, but to just like consolidate your memories and be able to look back and go, Oh, that was great. Like that was a great time. We've, we've grown so much since then.
1: It's like, it's like another format of the picture books or the albums that you have
0: of Pictures yeah, that you print it out, you know, those things doesn't even exist <laughs>
1: nowadays.
0: Yeah, the value nowadays. of like being considerate about the photo you're taking because it costs three dollars to print each photo. <laughs> like I agree. I agree. And yeah,
1: it just gives like when you look through the photos and, and the videos, you're not only just going through the the memories but you're go- also going through that emotions that you felt at that time mm. as well, right so yeah i i, I obviously i'm a huge fan of, of youtube and like the digital albums as well yeah it's been it's been great to be able to kind of talk uh, and just just really share what I've, I've been through personally um if that becomes an any sort of addition to someone else's lives awesome that would be that would be, be perfect can't ask for anything else more
0: thanks bro thanks for your time if uh people want to connect with you uh what's the best way to connect with you and and see what you're up to as well
1: ask them to send a fax of handwritten notes
0: yeah yeah we only take letters here
1: (laughs) (laughs) nah instagram is fine i think that's the easiest way to yeah
0: cool